Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. And hello and welcome to Diffusion, the weekly half hour of science beamed out across the world from the top of the UTS Tower in Sydney, the plush velvet studios of community radio station 2SER. You might be listening to us on 107.3 FM if you're within the 15 feet of transmitter range, or maybe you're listening to another community station across Australia, picking us up on the satellite through the community radio network. Or maybe you're one of the growing list of podcasters downloading the show every week from iTunes or Feedburner, whichever... Welcome to the show for another half hour of thick, rich, sciencey goodness on Diffusion. I'm Chris Stewart, your guide for this week's tour of the back streets and alleyways of science and technology. In the next 30 minutes or so of Diffusion, we've got a very small treatment for a very big problem, nanotechnology in the treatment of cancer, and a chat with an astronomer about a star that recently went not just supernova, but super duper nova, with an explosion that made even the boffins sit up and say, wow. But before any of that, here's the latest science news plucked from the ether in the past week with Ed Pollitt. Australia's government-funded science and technology research organisation, the CSIRO, has received a nice boost in this year's budget with the largest investment of public funding in its history a $2.8 billion injection, almost 20% up on the amount of funding the body received in the last four years. It's a solid gain for the CSIRO, which has been struggling from funding cuts and has been criticised from without and within for focusing on saleable product rather than public good research. New funding of $174 million has also been announced for the flagship research areas of clean energy, climate adaptation, manufacturing and minerals exploration. The budget announcements are a strong vote of confidence in CSIRO's direction and reflect a strong commitment to the organisation's future, says Chief Executive Dr Jeff Garrett. In recent years, we've had the fruit fly genome, the rat genome, the chimpanzee genome, even the human genome. In the pages of the venerable Nature this week, an international consortium of scientists in Canada, Australia, the UK and the USA are popping the champagne after sequencing the genetic code of the humble grey short-tailed opossum. It's the first marsupial to be sequenced, which gives the researchers a good look at the differences in genetic code as mammals and marsupials evolved. Much of the opossum's genes are identical to humans and other mammals. Heck, humans and bananas share a lot of genetic code, so that's no surprise. So it's the differences that make the study worthwhile. In particular, it seems a lot of the evolutionary innovation in marsupials has occurred in bits of DNA that don't code for proteins, but rather in the bits that regulate the production of proteins, says Eric Lander, one of the researchers from the Broad Institute in Cambridge. The secret to making mammals is less in making new genes than in making new regulations for those genes. A further reason to study the opossum is that, just like humans, the cute fuzzy fellows need to be wary of too much sun, it is the only species, other than humans, that develops melanoma from ultraviolet rays. So comparing the genetics of humans and opossums could lead to better understanding of skin cancer in humans. 
Okay, can we get past the guffaws or the censorious tut-tuts for a sec? Here's a story about oral sex. Seems that if you have oral sex with a few people in your life, you are more likely to develop throat cancer. Not just a little bit more likely either. If you have had oral sex with five or more people, you're two and a half times more likely to get the disease. Researchers at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in Baltimore in the U.S., collected blood and saliva from the throats of 100 patients diagnosed with cancer in the throat or tonsils and 200 healthy people. They collected the subject's sexual histories and were able to identify a strong link between the cancer and infection with human papillomavirus, or HPV. And the risk of HPV infection seems to increase as the number of oral sex partners increases. One to five oral sex partners doubles your chance of throat cancer, Five or more gives you a 250% increase in risk. Just for comparison, drinking and smoking gives you a three-fold increase in throat cancer risk. And from the, well, duh folder, a 20-year study by the New York State Psychiatric Institute of 700 families has found that watching lots of television could be related to doing worse in school. Something to do with diminishing ability to focus your attention on work and stuff or something and what do you know boxing can hurt you even if you don't regularly do five rounds with a mundane or a balboa boxing at any level can damage your brain according to vivian nathanson at the british medical association as few as 15 punches to the head can lead to neuronal damage even if you're wearing a head guard and it can take months to return to normal there's probably no safe dose of blows to the head i'd go along with that And you are listening to Diffusion, the weekly science show. Now we go to Patrick Ruby, who is looking at a small solution to a very big problem. Cancer is one of the biggest killers in the world today. Nearly one-third of the world's population will contract cancer during the course of their lives. But with recent advances in medical science, it seems that the answer is to think small. Existing anti-cancer drug therapy can be a bit of a hit-and-miss approach to tackling the variety of cancers that affect us. Often, not enough drug reaches the targeted area, and the drugs themselves can cause horrible side effects. Researchers in the pharmaceutical industry have been turning to nanotechnology to help focus drug therapy. Drugs can be wrapped up in nanoscopic designer polymers which target specific parts of the body and control how drugs are released. Theoretically, this will improve drug delivery systems and reduce that element of hit and miss in cancer treatment. The company Engenic, based in North Ryde, Sydney, has developed a new type of drug delivery system called Engenic Delivery Vehicles, or EDVs, to target specific cancer cells. EDVs are made from non-living bacteria that have been modified to carry anti-cancer drugs inside them to a target tumour. Engenic's work has just recently been published in Cancer Cell Journal. I spoke to Dr. Himanshu Brambat of Engenic about the EDVs. All chemotherapeutic drugs that we currently have in our arsenal to fight against cancer, these are all very strong poisons for human cells. These drugs cannot discriminate between cancer cells and normal cells. Therefore, 
when a clinician administers a chemotherapy drug into a cancer patient, the drug will go throughout the body. Consequently, not only are the cancer cells hit, but a large number of normal cells will also die. This results in severe toxic side effects and limits the use of our chemotherapeutic drugs. Many cancer patients are not even able to withstand such high-dose chemotherapy, and hence they will eventually succumb to the disease. How is it that the new um, ingenic delivery vehicles are designed to help increase this therapeutic effect? At Ingenic, over the last five and a half years, we have developed a bacterially derived nano-sized particle, which we call the EDV. The EDV is a non-living particle and can be easily packaged with a range of different chemotherapeutic drugs or molecularly targeted drugs. Now, bacteria normally divide in the middle. However, we have developed a genetic engineering process by which we can make these bacteria divide at the pole of the cell. So what happens is this is like a little bud that is being sprouted off from the actual bacterial cell. So the bacterial cell still retains its chromosome and it's still a living particle, but the little bud that is being uh, released from these bacterial cells, it, it, it happens because of this specific set of mutations where the cell division actually occurs at the pole of the cell. Okay, so with these bacterial um, cells, there is um, no risk of causing a cross-infection from the bacteria mm. using this technique? Interesting, yes. When we, we then have a specific purification process, and what we do there is all the mutant bacteria are removed from the suspension completely. What we purify is only the non-living particles. So the therapeutic that we are developing, the therapeutic does not carry any bacteria at all. And there is a set of procedures that we use to actually confirm that, yes, indeed, the whole preparation is sterile, it is non-living, and simply carries the drug of interest. So it's like a, a bacterial shell which has exactly, been filled with exactly. a, a drug for delivering to cancer. That's right. On the surface of this EDV particle are little hair-like projections to which one can attach a new molecule. And these types of molecules are known as bispecific antibodies. One arm of the bispecific antibody attaches to the hair-like projection on the EDV surface, and the other arm can target a molecule that is specifically found on the surface of a cancer cell. Now, most cancer cells have such surface molecules, and these are called receptors. So we can actually construct a bispecific antibody. One arm locks onto the surface of the EDV. The other arm is looking for the specific receptor found on the cancer cell surface. Now, when a drug-packaged bispecific antibody-targeted EDV binds to a cancer cell surface receptor, what happens is that the cancer cell will automatically swallow the whole EDV particle. And inside the cancer cell, the EDV will be broken down and the drug is released inside the tumor cell. When the bacteria gets engulfed and the, the drug is released into the cell, um, is the, the rest of the bacteria broken down normally within the cell? Yes. Uh, all mammalian cells have the intracellular mechanisms 
by which if something is attached on the surface of a mammalian cell, what it will try to do, it will engulf it and it will just completely destroy it. What types of cancer is it most effective against? Now, that, uh, we have tested against a range of different cancers in our preclinical models in mice and dogs. We have tested breast human breast cancer, xenografts, we have tested ovarian cancer, colorectal cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, melanoma, and a range of different cancers. Now, the interesting thing is the chemotherapeutic drug itself is a poison. It will kill a cell. So, you can, if you have a method to target a specific type of a cancer cell, for example, it's breast cancer or colorectal cancer, then the poison is a poison. If the poison goes specifically into those cells, then it will kill those cells. Therefore, the actual therapeutic, the delivery vehicle, has the potential to hit a multiple of different types of solid tumors. And would these different types of tumors have different markers on the cell surface which you can target specifically? Yes. yes. Now, for example, for quite a number of years now, it has been discovered that, for example, 80% of cancers express a particular type of a receptor known as epidermal growth factor receptor, EGFR. Another example is uh, breast cancer. 25% of breast cancer patients carry a surface receptor known as HER2 receptor, to which Genentech in the United States has made an antibody therapeutic. So most cancers, yes, uh, there are specific surface receptors that are overexpressed on these cancer cells, and these, the, uh, the anti bispecific antibody can be used to target the EDV to these specific receptors. We have now done a number of studies in mice and dogs, dogs suffering from cancer, and we have shown that this therapy actually works without any of the associated toxic side effects. We have a cancer-targeted therapy where any of these poisonous or molecularly tar targeted drugs can be actually released directly inside a cancer cell instead of having the drug running freely around the body and hurting the normal cells. This therapy can increase the therapeutic index dramatically by actually killing off the cancer cells and the rest of the cells in the body are not hurt. Now, when you have an EDV-like particle, it can dump as many as 10 million molecules of the drug directly inside a cancer cell. That's a lot. That's a lot. Now, we cannot possibly even envisage doing such a thing with current free chemotherapy. You just can't achieve that. Uh, that's a huge dose actually going inside a cancer cell as a result. That's why in our dog uh, case studies in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, these tumors are very large tumors and they plummet within a matter of three to five days. The amount of drug is tiny. It's several thousand fold less compared to conventional chemotherapy. Yet, the amount that goes inside a cancer cell is several thousand fold more than the conventional chemotherapy. And hence, we're getting this dramatic therapeutic index increase. What would be the next stage in the development of EDVs? Yes, we are currently trying to get a contract manufacturer to manufacture CGMP quality EDVs so that we can go into the human studies. We are also currently talking to some of the regulatory agencies to get a clearance for our human studies, and we expect that later, in, later this year or early next year, we should be able to enter human case studies. 
That was Patrick Ruby with Dr. Brambart from the company Ingenic, looking at treating cancer with nanotechnology. You're listening to Diffusion. Last year, astronomers gazing up into the heavens witnessed a bright flash that went beyond supernova, could only possibly be described as a super-duper nova. And recent calculations suggest that at the heart of this incredible explosion might be an entirely new phenomenon. I sought out a University of Sydney astronomer to see if he could explain exactly what was going on. My name's Shami Chatterjee, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Sydney working with neutron stars and supernova remnants of various sorts, and I work with Brian Gainsloud here primarily. First of all, what exactly is a supernova? I think most people understand that it's a big stellar explosion, but beyond that it's a bit hazy. So tell us a bit about supernovas. Well, first of all, we know every particle in the universe attracts every other particle, so that's basic gravity. Now you might think, okay, so a star is a big ball of gas, um, and so all the bits of the star are attracting each other, and so it wants to crumple into a little point. So for a star, one of the primary things that holds it apart, holds it into a ball as opposed to a little point, is the fact that there are these fusion reactions going on in the core of the star which are liberating energy, and so that keeps the star glowing. And so these fusion reactions, these nuclear reactions, are pushing outwards, and gravity is pulling inwards, and it all balances. That's exactly right. The tension between gravity pulling in and this nuclear fusion reaction pushing outwards, which holds the star in shape. So what makes a star blow up? Well, now, what's happening in a star is that it's born primarily as a big ball of hydrogen, and maybe it has some helium, and maybe it has some, a few other elements. And how this progresses is that these fusion reactions are progressively converting lighter elements to heavier elements. So you take two atoms of hydrogen, and out of it you get an atom of helium out. When you run out of hydrogen, you can start fusing helium. And when you run out of helium to fuse, maybe you can start fusing carbon. And maybe when you run out of carbon to fuse, and so on and so forth. And you can work your way up this chain until at the core of the star, all you're left with is iron. Now, iron has this very special place where to make an element heavier than iron takes more energy than it liberates by fusion. So, for example, we can take two hydrogen elements and make helium and get energy out of it. But to fuse two iron nuclei together would take more energy than it would give out. So what we end up with is a situation where fusion can no longer power the star. And so suddenly this source of tension which was holding the star together, suddenly the fusion that was supporting this reaction is gone. And the star can just run away and collapse. This is what we mean when we say a core collapse occurs, and this is one particular type of supernova explosion, a core collapse supernova. Okay, but that's a collapse, and an explo a supernova is an explosion. How do you get an explosion out of a collapse? That's, that's, that's exactly right. And so one way, one way you might look at it very simply at home is if you have a basketball and a tennis ball, and you put them on top of each other, and you just drop them together on the floor. 
and the basketball will bounce a little bit, but that tennis ball will go flying off. So if you do this within a room, you better be careful about the lamps in the room. So that's basically what's happening is inside the core of the star, it's like that basketball dropping, it's the core is collapsing in. But then the outer layers of the star falling inwards are just going to bounce off and go rocketing outwards in this massive explosion. This, this type that I just described, it's a classic core collapse supernova, and so this is how massive stars die. There's other kinds of supernova explosions where, for example, you have a white dwarf star which is moving happily along, and it slowly matters trickling onto it, possibly from a companion star, and then suddenly there's so much matter that gravity just runs away and causes a collapse. Now, the supernova that astronomers witnessed last year was something else. I mean, a large explosion of a star in space would make the rest of us sit up and take notice, but to astronomers, that's old hat. But this one was a big one. What was so special about this 2006 supernova? And what's, what's kind of cute about this is that it was discovered by a graduate student at the University of Texas at Austin. And this was his graduate student as a project. He was out trawling for supernova explosions, and he found this one. And it turns out that it's a very, very special explosion. If you look at its light curve, if you look at how its intensity went up and went down over time, it looks different than the standard core collapse supernova. But one of the ways in which this supernova might have happened, this star was so massive and so bright that in the core of the star, the radiation was strong enough that it could run Einstein's equals mc squared in reverse. That is, there was so much energy that the energy could spontaneously create matter and antimatter in equal amounts. So these are these high-energy photons which are splitting up into electrons and positrons. Now, radiation, light, it exerts a pressure. And this star was in part supported by this radiation pressure. So suddenly, when you take this radiation pressure and you convert it suddenly into electrons and positrons, that radiation pressure just goes away. And all of a sudden, whoops, gravity takes over and there's a runaway collapse. And you've got all of this antimatter sitting around to make it nice and explosive anyway. And that's exactly right. So there's matter and there's antimatter and there's suddenly this absence of radiation pressure. And so this blows up in this absolutely massive explosion. Now, this was a very big supernova. How big was it in comparison to a common or garden variety supernova. How big are we talking? Right, so there's no supernova which is garden variety. <laughs> but this one, this one was a particularly big one. So, so the way we think about this is how massive was this star which actually exploded? They, they can set a minimum mass for the core of the star, which is 40 times the mass of our sun. And so they're guessing that the star had a minimum mass of about 150 times the mass of our sun. That is an extraordinarily, extraordinarily massive star. So the most massive stars that we know of in our galaxy are stars like Eta Carina, and that's about 120 solar masses. Obviously one of these doesn't come along terribly often, and something like this will get the astronomical community pretty excited. What are the implications of this discovery? Well, so first of all, there's this, this idea that this kind of collapse into matter and antimatter, this had been around in the literature for a long time, but no one had ever seen such an explosion before. So first of all, this demonstrates that something that theorists had thought possibly could happen can actually probably happen. Well, the other thing, like I mentioned, Eta Carina, it's one of those stars that could go supernova any day. But by any day, that could be, it could be tomorrow, it could be a thousand years from now. So any day in astronomical sense. It, it could be any astronomical day, that's right. So, um, 
it looks likely that if Eta Carina does go supernova, this might be a way in which it goes supernova. And then if it does, um, Eta Carina would be bright enough to see in broad daylight. And some people are calculating that it would be bright enough that you could read by the light of Eta Carina at night. And that's something amazing. And then finally, I think what's, what's really, really interesting about this particular discovery, the very, very first generation of stars, when the universe was created, we believe that the vast, vast majority of it was hydrogen. And there was a very little bit of helium and absolutely tiny bits of lithium and so on. So the question is, where do we come from? And the answer to that, of course, is that we are made of star stuff. So the carbon and the nitrogen and the oxygen, everything that makes up our bodies and everything around us that we see is actually synthesized in these stars, in these massive stars, and then they're distributed through the universe in supernova explosions. It looks like the very first generation of stars that ever existed, these would have been huge, massive stars, and they would not have had any metals, any carbon, any oxygen in them because they're made early in the universe. So all they had was hydrogen and helium. And then these massive stars would have synthesized a lot of these heavier elements. And it looks like they would have gone supernova in explosions that look just like this one. This would actually have led to a lot of these elements being distributed through the early universe. It really explains where we come from, from these star stuff. So that makes it very, very exciting to astronomers. We must end this world like lots of things To know at last what we like the most Women, horses, bay trays and roses Sweet ocean games And that's it for another week on Diffusion. We're always peachy keen to know what's going on in the minds of our dear listeners, so if you've got a comment about this week's show, a burning question about something sciencey, a naughty proposition for one of the team, or a money-making scheme in need of a fall guy, drop us a line at diffusion at 2ser.com. This week joining me on the microphones were Patrick Ruby. Say goodbye, Patrick. Goodbye. And Ed Pollitt. Ed, I think you had a couple of words you wanted to say at this point. That's right. Mum, they made me read the news. But it's science, isn't it? He's, he's really sorry. This is in reference to the news story earlier about the oral sex, but let's just not labour on that one any further. <laughs> As always, the show is recorded in the luxuriously appointed spaces of 2SER 107.3 Studios in Sydney and beamed out across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Each and every show is available to download onto your MP3 player of choice. Just point your pooter towards iTunes or feeds.feedburner.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Chris Stewart. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again next week for another half hour of science on diffusion.
Gate.